0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hello and welcome into another 3 month podcast. I am John Kurtz, joined as always by Cole Manbeck and Derek Young. You know Derek from K-State Online, Cole Manbeck, former K-State beat writer for the Manhattan Mercury and uh you know i spent a little time covering the cats myself as always we appreciate the support of 360 vodka and holiday distillery plus be sure to check out the new bourbon that they have out as well holiday distillery they have been great supporters of us and whatever it is that you're celebrating uh make sure that you do it with 360 vodka holiday distillery everything that they have to offer and hey maybe you're raising a glass today to the fact that we have a new class in the ring of honor at k-state maybe you're raising a glass for l roberson I think Bill Snyder is raising a glass, probably a glass of some wine somewhere for for L. Roberson making it into the ring of honor today, huh? How about that? How about that? You think we're going to talk football and basketball recruiting and all that stuff? No, I'm living in the past. I'm living in the past. In 2002 and 2003, we're about uh, almost as good as it gets in K-State football history. So here's one for L. Roberson, even though D.Y. was trying to fight me today on L. Roberson actually making it into the ring of honor. 2002
2: and 2003 was was good for me as a fan as well. Just to throw that out there.
1: Why don't you shut up, D.Y.? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're not talking about that Fiesta Bowl, okay? There were some extenuating circumstances that affected that Fiesta Bowl. Uh, no, look, we'll get to more on that later. I do, I do want to, I want to say a few words for L. Roberson, which I feel bad that he's kind of overshadowing the rest of the uh, Hall of Fame clash because there is at least some level of debate about E3's credentials, but I, I think he's very, very deserving basketball recruiting is what we're all I think most focused on right now although it's starting to turn closer and closer to football as we hit mid to late May here but right right as we're getting ready to go on the air we find out about Emoja Gibson who was an Oklahoma transfer who had connections to the K-State staff he's going to DePaul now It sounded like he really wanted to be a point guard and that may not have been a fit or worked at K-State it's unfortunate that that didn't work out but we're not hearing good things about Isaiah Mosley either pretty coveted Missouri State transfer that May wind up at KU, depends on how their situation shakes out. And then uh, Sean Phillips earlier this week, Baby Shaq, a kid who was a former or is a top 50 recruit, rather, that took a visit to K-State and uh, seemed to like it well enough. He chooses LSU. So, D.Y., the question now is, like, where where are the last uh, six scholarships available going to go here? And is K-State running out of time? Are they running out of options? Like, how how concerning in particular is the lack of just – scoring wing or a scoring two, just a proven score to to be on this roster. How concerned should we be about them not landing somebody yet?
2: Maybe apprehensive is probably the word. I think that's what Jerome Tang used in an interview that, you know, he'd be lying if he wasn't apprehensive. I think that's probably a fair reaction and a fair calculus of the situation. Um, I don't know that you're running out of time because there's a lot of things still going on that I think – you know, there's probably more than enough talent still left in the transfer portal to pluck, and, and there's still you know, several programs looking to find those last few pieces. I think maybe the what the anxiety level would be for Kent State is they probably have more void, more vacancies than the, the typical program because they still almost have half the roster to still assemble. Um, they're sitting, I think, at seven, so they had six spots left. Perhaps the two visitors that they've had in the you know the past handful of days, and Alex Shakou from Alabama transfer big and, and David Gasson from Virginia Tech transfer I guess transfer forward, you put those into the consideration where you would you would hope that they can contend and, and perhaps land those two, then you're sitting at nine players and you only need four more. But you know, there again, you're probably not um making up for the lack of scoring just with those two. I mean they haven't really been productive scorers in their careers either. So yeah, I mean running out of time it's probably an exaggerated way of looking at it. But you know, the further you get down this road and then the the less the 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 more narrow your path to probably landing and the parts to a team that can contend in the NCAA tournament become.
1: Yeah, and let me, uh, Cole, I know you've got something here. I'm going to jump in real quick. Just for people who are unaware, Alex Jaku, who uh, D.Y. is talking about their Alabama transfer, former top 40 recruit, I mean, really high-level recruit, but then busted his Achilles and played in, what, three games at Alabama this past year? Like, just did not do very much at all. Uh, David Gasson, Virginia Tech transfer, uh, not the sexiest recruiting profile in the world, but, you know, I mean, I think these guys fit similar kind of. Uh, archetypes to what you landed in Jarrell Colbert and Cam Carter, the first two guys that K-State landed, like a lot of potential, a lot of athleticism, some recruiting pedigree there, especially in the case of Chaku, but not a lot of like, hey, proven we know what we're going to get next year out of these guys.
2: That's fair. They're, they're intriguing parts.
1: Yeah, so
3: Wahab doesn't visit when we, we thought he was coming in. He's a Maryland transfer who previously came from Georgetown and, you know, was a guy that averaged 13 points per game and eight rebounds a game in his year, a couple years at Georgetown, that sophomore season, was excited about the possibility of him at the five. Then we get the news that Friday night that Shakou is visiting and obviously has a strong recruiting history. We all know that the ruptured Achilles as you guys have talked about being a concern, but a very high ceiling or a talent level. And, you know, now that he's getting into two years being removed from that ruptured Achilles, an injury that can be very complicated to rebound from, you get into that 12, 18 months past that at this point, I think there's a chance that he can get closer to himself, to that talent level that he had at the high school ranks that made him one of the top players in the country. And so I think there's a very high ceiling there. You know, Gassan was not a guy with, you know, a strong recruiting pedigree as you guys talked about. But when you look at his highlights, you see a guy that could certainly play the three and the four and he has some explosiveness. And I think he'd be very good in ball screen offense and on the defensive end of the floor, very versatile athlete. Uh, with some skills. And I I think he could certainly take off in this system. So I think both of those guys would be fits. Uh, The bigger concern as we've discussed is just now you got to find outside of those higher profile ceiling types, you got to find some guys that have proven that they can score the basketball, especially at the guard position at the wing position. And right now, Kansas state's missing those guys uh, on the roster. Uh, you got to have someone for Marquise Noel to to dish the ball to and to take some pressure off of him. Uh, you know, I, you just have to assume that the staff has a plan in place that they're waiting on a few guys that are currently going through the NBA draft process. We've heard that Jerome Tang talk about that. That uh, you know, it could go into June, July, as far as their roster composition goes and identifying players and and getting them in the bag by because they're going through the draft process right now, June first is the deadline for college players to pull out of the draft and maintain their college eligibility. So that's really the big date you circle here. Where today is May 18th when we're recording this. So we're a little more than, a little less than two weeks away from, start to having some final decisions finality to those players that are going through the draft process. And then soon after, hopefully you start to see some movement and get some news of some guys visiting that are more of those proven veteran types that K-State might
1: be able to land. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this about the, the rest of the roster. And I mean, cool. you talked about it a little bit there with like Hassan. I I love the, the potential. I love the explosiveness. I love a lot of what they're doing with uh, tons of length and athleticism and guys that have high upsides. Like I, I love a lot of those plays. And I think when you're at a, a place like K-State, like you've got to take your shots like that, especially in the portal at high ceiling guys, because it's it's tougher for you to land them obviously when they're coming out of high school. But it's just like you need you need some score. You know, if they're if Nigel Pack, for instance, were still on this roster, and I don't I don't bring him up to like single it out as in like that was a battle that they needed to win, or like that's the huge no, I mean look, I understand that situation and he was gonna be gone and didn't end well and all those things. But if you had somebody like of his caliber still on this roster, like that was able to score the ball like that, then I'd be sitting around thinking, like, man, we're we're really talking here. Like you just you need one or two of those guys sprinkled in and and that is the apprehension. It's, it's clear that the coaching staff feels it. It's also clear that we're in a totally unique time where situations like this can happen. Now where in the past. They would not have necessarily happened here on May 18th. You would have probably just taken somebody to take somebody and fill up a roster spot. But now it's like, I, what do we, you know, what, what names Cole, I know you did a lot of work and research here. Like what, what names are we floating thinking, etc., that, that could be there besides like, I don't know. I remember some of the discussion about Matthew Mayer from Baylor, but, I just have a hard time understanding why a guy like that would leave Baylor to come to a situation like K-State if he's only got one year left before the draft.
3: Well, and I I don't know how realistic Mayer is at this point. If they're going after Gasson, right, and then Shakou, I mean, that doesn't really leave many spots for a guy like Mayer at his profile to play for K-State. So it makes me think they probably realize that's an unlikely one. You know, when you look at Owen threes, top 50 recruits, I'm just pulling it over right here that 11 of the top 25 transfers in the portal, according to their rankings are still available, but you know, at least two or three of those guys are very unlikely for K-State. Isaiah Mosley being one of them is, you know, DY has had some information on that recruitment and it sounds like K-State's probably out of the mix there. Unfortunately. Yeah, what, uh, seven, what, what, can Brown, what can Brown do for you? Not much. Yeah. To gotta, gotta, gotta love that family. Uh, 17 of uh, the top 50 in 0-3's rankings are still available in the transfer portal, and then 24 of the top 100 when you, you dive down into that top 100. If you go all the way down through the rankings, they have 142 guys ranked. Uh, 35 players are available still. But, and so the options are getting a little more limited, right? You know, Grant Sherfield is a guy that played at um, Sunrise Christian in the Wichita area. K-State has some connections, obviously, to that program. Uh, He played at Wichita State. He's currently going through the NBA draft process. He's a transfer from Nevada. He averaged over 19 points per game. Big-time scorer. Scored big at Nevada and at Wichita State. Um, But he may profile more as a point guard. I'm not not sure what he sees his options as. Uh, He's also got to get a waiver to be able to play right right away because he already transferred once from Wichita, Wichita State. I would assume... He would probably get that waiver. I think D.Y. and I, we've texted about it, and because of the ties to the great Marshall situation at Wichita State, it's likely he would probably get approved to be able to play right away. But we've also seen that Sherfield is rumored for Oklahoma. Um, I don't know the validity of that, though. It's just kind of hearsay that you see on the Internet. So, you know, Kansas State may be able to get him into the fold. Uh, Efu Agabidi, uh, I may be butchering the pronunciation there, D.Y., but he eliminated K-State today. Uh, announced his final three of Arizona, Florida, and Maryland, I believe. So he's a big man that's that's now out of the mix. And then Wahab obviously sounds like probably going back to Georgetown. Um, so you know, is the one thing I want to say, guys. When everyone looks at these top 100 media lists when it comes to transfers, they they look at the top 100 lists that are out there. Uh, if you look at the top 100 lists from the past, I would take those lists with a grain of salt. You know, because there's a lot of good players out there that are not in the top 100 that the media puts out there. So while the options are a little more limited, you would like to get one of those proven guys. There are guys in the portal right now that can be huge success stories. All you have to do is look at the 2020-2021 transfer portal rankings. Right? I dug up, you know, watch. let's take Watch Stadium, for example, Jeff Goodman's list. I bumped it up against CBS Sports list as well, and it was pretty much consistent in terms of the top 85, top 100 players that were included in there. If you look at that top 100, it was missing Alondis Williams, a transfer from Oklahoma. He goes to Wake Forest. He had averaged six points per game at Oklahoma. Goes to Wake Forest this last year. He's ACC Player of the Year. Averages 19 points per game, six rebounds per game, five assists per game. Jake LaRavia, a teammate of his at Wake Forest, transferred from Indiana State, all ACC second team this year. He was not ranked in the top 100 of the transfer rankings. Neither was Alondis Williams. He wasn't included in any anyone's top 100 rankings. You look so so. You've got an All ACC first team, ACC Player of the Year, All ACC second team. There. If you go down the list, Ryan Hawkins, a transfer that goes from Northwest Missouri State Division II to Creighton, he wasn't on anyone's list. A top 100 transfers. Granted, he was a very very good Div- Division II player. Goes to Creighton, All Big East second team this year. If you look at Terrell Brown, he goes from Arizona to Washington, all Pac-12 first team this year, not in the top 100 transfer rankings last year. Uh, Mark Smith, all Big 12 third team for K-State, not in the top 100. Marquise Noel, not in the top 100 rankings, Big 12 honorable mention for Kansas State. You could look at Bryson Williams, goes to Texas Tech from UTEP. Bryson Williams was ranked 87th. Out of the top 100, which still blows my mind that he was only ranked 87th after you saw what he did to Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse last year. But he's ranked 87th in the transfer portal rankings. All Big 12 first team this last year. Tremendous player. Isaiah Brockington. Not in the top 100, guys. Hmm. All Big 12 first team. Now, he was a guy that averaged nearly 13 points per game his last season at Penn State, so he had proven it some. But he wasn't in the top 100 rankings. He wasn't in CBS Sports' top 85 player transfer rankings. That's another guy. I could go on and on. You guys get the point. Uh, Tari Eason, Cincinnati to LSU. Not in the top 100 transfer portal rankings. All SEC first team this last year. Now he's probably going to get drafted. You know, so uh, There's a lot of guys. Uh, the reason I say this, it's not time to panic yet. I get there is some apprehension, but there are a lot of guys out there that are still available that aren't in that top 100 list that you know, it could potentially be fits that this staff sees traits in that would be a fit for K State's roster. It's it, when you get into the transfer portal, it's all about fits. You know, Davion Mitchell, Freddie Gillespie, guys like that that went to Baylor, Curtis Kelly to K State, Danny Clemente. It's about finding the fit for the system. Guys that may not have put it together at their previous school get a fresh start, get in the right system, and then it triggers production.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's all extremely valuable data and extremely valuable perspective to everybody right now to, to just chill out. And I, I continue to think, and I, I will still give this coaching staff the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise, that they probably do have some idea in the back of their mind of where they're going with some of these spots um, with the, the kind of proven score or somebody that they feel like at least has the capability to be a proven score here at the Big 12 level. And a part of it is you know, I mean they're they're we're assuming we're making inferences here. And Derek, you can fill in some of the details on on this. I don't wanna, you know, do this without really your blessing here, but Jared Valencia is somebody that uh, has moved back a decision date, sounded like wanted to commit, but was maybe told not to commit. I mean, RJ Luis, um, another guy who had to cancel a visit here to K State. And I know it appears that, you know, that may be because of Gachon and and I Alex, I'm sorry, I'm just going to botch the last name here again. Chiku, is that what we're going with? Chiku. <laughs> yeah. Um, It appears that it, it perhaps is related to those guys. But, I mean, just the fact that they're not taking on, like, anybody and everybody right now still, I would think, has to lend itself toward, like, they, they feel like there's something here. They feel like there is some plan that they can go out and actually execute. And they continue to reiterate, like, when they talk about Noel and they talk about Masood, like we want to do everything we can to get these guys the best players that they can to play with to really reward them, like truly reward them for sticking around this last year, which would tell you that, I mean, they're thinking about instant impact guys. And in college basketball anymore, long-term rebuild, it's it's great to be thinking about that, but I don't know that that's really a reality for almost anybody anymore. you got to be able to rebuild quickly. So long story short, coaching staff still has the benefit of the doubt for me, but yes, I am definitely in a mode of like, I'm just really nervous, and I can't control any of this, so I'm just gonna throw my hands up and wait and like see what happens
2: If it clicks and really comes together, as Cole said, for some of these guys that do have an enormous amount of potential and upside, then this guy is still the limit for what they can accomplish. What I will say is this if if they can develop talent and just at a respectable level, there is enough skill and raw you know skill sets and talent and a group of talent here to really do something with and i'm not trying to compare this to the bruce weber era at all but to kind of put it in perspective i think even with the seven players that they have right now in terms of raw athleticism i'm not sure we've seen that with bruce weber totally even the alex Chiku, if he is you know recovering at a pretty good rate and as close to a hundred percent. I mean, these some of these guys are really long, lanky. Well, I mean, freaking Jarrell, Jarrell freaking
1: Like, I don't. Did Bruce ever have a Jarrell Colbert?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me more of like the, not maybe the last three or four year Scott Drew teams, maybe the ones before that, where they just. I mean, I think they ran the zone, but they just seemed like they had like eighty percent of the roster was between six eight and six ten, and long as heck this just kind of seems like they're carving out something similar to that that's not to say it's going to run zone i I don't know i'm just saying in terms of like you said archetype of the type of athlete we're talking about and what they look like that's what it looks like
1: they're going to be better uh, you know in terms of getting off the bus team rankings yeah
2: almost a little bit like the leonard hamilton teams at florida state too to be honest they always have those guys that look like jonathan isaac
3: yeah, Florida, you know that's a good point. Florida State's always gigantic. <laughs> I mean, they they have so many dudes that are six, seven above seven footers. Uh, you know, when you to your point, Dy, we know Jerome Tang is a big player developmental guy. I mean, we we look at the players that they developed at Baylor, and all you have to do is look at a Freddie Gillespie type and see where he took off from. Jonathan Motley, you know, really developed well at Baylor, especially the bigs. I mean, they really developed bigs well, and so I like taking these high pedigree recruiting types like Shakou, Jarrell Colbert, Cam Carter, guys that have high ceilings, that have the athletic physical traits that they need, and trusting the staff to develop them. Now, I'm not saying you don't need some proven guys that can come right in that don't need that development, because K-State certainly does need that on this roster. They need a couple of those dudes. Uh, um, and, you know, you, you can this, you know, a guy that flagged, my interest brian antoine he's a villanova transfer he's in the portal right now he's not in the top 100 transfer rankings of, that i've found anywhere but he's a former top 20 recruit in the country struggled with injuries at baylor he's a shooting guard he's six foot five can really shoot the basketball he only averaged two points per game in his career at, at nova didn't work out in three years there but high ceiling just get a restart come to a new program I think Kerwin Walton is a guy that's probably leaning somewhere else. I I had texted DY about him, but he's a North Carolina transfer, top 100 recruit, formerly been at UNC two years. Didn't do a lot this year, but his freshman year at UNC shot shot about 40% from three, averaged over eight points per game. Another bigger guard, six foot five, uh, high recruiting pedigree. And, you know, I think I've seen some rumors of him potentially going to Creighton, but those are just a couple examples of guys that are available still in the portal that are unclaimed. There's many more. Uh, you know, I stumbled across a guy. I, I texted you guys late at night one night. I was doing some sleuthing. Uh, I, I have no chance to pronounce his name. He's originally from Nigeria. Nigeria. He's currently at UT Arlington. He's in the transfer portal, but he's also in the NBA draft process. The di- the guy is six foot nine, but he averaged seven and a half blocks per forty minutes last year. He was one of the best shot blockers in the country. Now, if you look at his stats and you see only five points per game. You're as a K State fan. That's not gonna work. Texas Arlington, only five points per game coming into the Big 12. He's currently going through the draft process. He's getting NBA workouts, and he's a, a high jumper type. You know, he's actually a, a record holder in the high jump. And there's video of him touching the top of the backboard when he jumps. It, I would be. Uh, he is a guy with an extremely high ceiling that most people would probably be disappointed in landing. That I would be ecstatic about getting if K-State can get him, if he comes back. And again, I don't even know if there's any connections. He's a guy that's not on anyone's top 200 transfer list, but he's getting NBA looks right now and workouts. And so there's this example of so many guys that are currently still in the portal that most of us have never heard of that this staff has seen film on or talked to people about that, you know, is probably interested in.
2: I could probably give the name a whirl, the UT Arlington big that Cole's referring to it's it's a tough name. Calderichi Akabundu Iyogu. Have fun uh, with that, Mitch Fortner. If that becomes yeah. a thing.
1: Nailed it. Nailed it. Well, you guys I, listen, I, I was what did I call what did I tell you guys before the show? You go to UT Arlington's site and you go scroll down until you find an old game preview and then you dig up the file that has their old game notes, and usually that's where you can find the pronunciation guide. Okay. If I would have known that this was coming up on the I, show, I, I would have made sure that we were all prepared here because I'm a professional broadcaster, okay?
2: You didn't you didn't even know Chaku. You, you haven't got that one.
1: But <laughs> well, I well, just told my yeah, well, And
3: yeah. you knew it.
0: we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data
1: Well, no, that's great, and I'm I'm not necessarily opposed to bringing that guy in. Uh, I, again, I love the high upside athleticism. It just it's like there's there's already a lot of those guys, and I understand. I mean, it's not quite like you know NFL draft. I was sitting here like, hey, the Chiefs should take two or three edge rushers, and hopefully one of them hit. Right? I don't know that you have the same latitude here to take three, four, five guys and hope that one or two of them hit. Like, you just need more instant impact. And so I know Cole, you're just speculating and throwing out one random guy there. I just, what I'm looking for is where's the guy who's in the NBA draft process right now. That's a two or a three, or maybe, you know, can play both and has scored like 12 points a game somewhere, maybe like in the the mountain West, something like that. Because I just, I love the, the overall big picture here, like long-term what they're trying to do and what the strategy is with getting these high upside guys. But I also, I am very aware of the fact that, Look, we all got really excited about Sean Phillips, Julian Phillips, the possibility of that visit happening, like a five-star kid. Uh, Now, Leighton Blocker did happen. That was a visit that happened. But there were a lot of, like, really high-profile kids there for a while and Antoine Davis. And now you're sitting here like, okay, well, some of that didn't materialize. And I speculate that some of it is, hey, like, they're just going to have to go prove it and actually win some games before they can – fully utilize their recruiting chops. And to me, like the, the biggest key to that right now is that they just, they need people that know how to score. They need people that know how to score next year so that next year is at least moderately successful. You know, I mean, at least something you can sell, like something you can build on, not a, not a four straight year because I mean, that's the other, like if you're a recruit looking at this program, man, I mean, thank you Bruce Weber at the last three years, we're ninth or 10th in the league. So you know, I mean, I just, I, I don't want a four straight year of that. And and that—that that is my fear. And that's nothing, obviously, that this coaching staff can control. It's just like they, they need enough to make this year at least decent and, and leave you feeling hopeful about the future so that they can then unlock, I think, their full recruiting potential.
2: To be fair, you know, Iowa State just kind of went from, you know, worse to the Sweet 16. How many times did they struggle to score 40 points? I mean –
1: that's a, is, that's a very fair point. That's a very I'm fair point.
2: Just saying college basketball is far different than any other form of basketball that we watch on a nightly basis, right? College basketball, you can just put together the, the longest team possible with a bunch of defenders and throw the ball at the rim and tell them to go chase off it rebounds. And that works in college basketball because there isn't, you know, the freedom of movement and there isn't, you know, what we see in the NBA on a nightly basis. You could, I mean, a lot of Frank Martin's teams are that way, right? I'm yeah. just there's 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 a path even without some scoring that you can cobble things together in the sport that is college basketball and how it is built. But but but, but, every but Frank, Iowa State still has the Yes,
1: I mean every every yeah every Frank team had Jacob Pullen or Rodney Magruder
2: and Iowa State and Isaiah Brock that, but I guess I'm saying, I mean, the path to that kind of team, maybe that route only requires only one of those guys. I don't know. And I I agree. I don't think it's Marquise Noel, but at least with inheriting Marquise Noel, you got a guy that can give it to him.
1: Well, maybe we are sleeping. I don't, are we sleeping too much on, I don't think this is the coaching staff's plan that they're going to put all of it on Marquise Noel's shoulders, but are we breezing past that too much that maybe that winds up by necessity being what it has to be is he capable of that
2: probably not not on a nightly basis the way that isaiah brockington and all those guys were i don't think you can you can anticipate that um but i i would say maybe we're sleeping with cam carter a little bit i mean We'll put it this way, and and we're probably going to be discussing a pretty good score that's proven it at some point. Maybe it's Malachi Smith or Chattanooga. That's another one, you know, that intrigues me quite a bit, but I don't know that Baylor expected what, you know, the fans expected what they got when they heard that they were signing Davion Mitchell from Auburn. So some of the stuff, is we just don't know, and like Cole said earlier in the podcast, sometimes it's just going to click for someone right away, just being at a different place.
1: And again, I, I believe in this coaching staff's ability to bring that out of somebody too. So uh, I'm excited to see what happens when they actually get it all together. And that—that's really it. Like I'm—I'm I'm so excited about most of what's going on with the basketball program. I'm like, let's just fast forward this thing. Get get one or two decent scores in there that'll make me feel a little bit better about it. And then like roll the ball out there, man. Let's go.
2: And we and we um, know about a new a game that just got scheduled too. They play Butler in Hinkle Fieldhouse on November 30th.
1: Butler and Hinkle Fieldhouse, and they need to blow that, but blast that place into the sun. Like I beat Butler so bad that Hinklefield House explodes into the ethos and there is nothing left but just a little tiny speck of dust. That's how I feel about Butler. I never, never will forgive for 2010. I Someone brought that up to me on Twitter today and was like, hey, you know, I mean, it wasn't really Butler's fault. I think they're insinuating that it was like Maybe Chris Merriweather's fault for the foul, like however the Xavier game ended, and that they were on tired legs. Like, no, 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 no. Listen, this is Butler's fault. Like I, Gordon Hayward, it, it, you know, listen, from one pale guy, like how pale that guy is, and he's just raining fadeaway jumpers over Curtis Kelly's incredible five-star length. And then, you know, I gotta listen to stories about Matt Howard's dad being a postman and delivering mail in the snow at the final four. God, I hated it. Shelvin Mack. I don't know that I have anything really negative to say about Sheldon. I don't remember anything particularly about him in that game, but and then you get Brad Stevens, a wonder kid over there. Like, man, look at his coaching job. Like, just
3: at, at least you didn't have to uh, endure a 16-hour drive home from Salt Lake City after covering that game, John.
1: Yeah, that was a, a sad funny. trip. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Okay, well, football recruiting. I thought I, was cover- I thought I was covering a Final Four.
3: I mean, I thought Kansas State was going to go to the Final Four of my first year on the beat. It was uh, pretty devastating.
1: It was. It was. I uh, would have had like a $20 student ticket. It would have been great. Uh, K-State on the football trail continues, I would say, a hot streak here, D-Y. They land uh, Justice Clemens, junior college recruit, another defensive back. Same same with Jamie on it was a defensive back transfer from Arizona. Uh, so they, the secondary, I mean, all of a sudden went from how are they going to find any depth at all to in the course of like two weeks? Now you're sitting here telling me like, hey, they, they may have to like redshirt these guys or just not play them because there's there's that much depth there in this room.
2: Yeah, with Clemens, and they hope they get a third one from Tyler Jr. College too, as they're still waiting linebacker Gavin Force's decision. But with Clemens and with Carr, that's two more cornerbacks I think and that's after already adding uh Jordan Wright the week before when they beat Florida State for him um and you have the two presumed starters with Julius Brents and, and Echo Doe. I think Jordan Wright's probably third in that pecking order so then when you're talking about adding Carr and Clemens too they, they really like Omar Daniels by the way you know that's a lot of depth and that that's what I'm saying there you you're almost Feels like they're anticipating losing Brents and Boydow after this year. And I'm one of those that would you know, feel inclined to believe that's probably the case. So I almost think some of these ads are just with some foreshadowing in place. Carr hasn't played any college football. He redshirted last year at Arizona, never got on the field. Clemens still has three years of eligibility remaining, and he still has a redshirt available. So he could take a redshirt, then still have three years to go. He also played some nickel at Tyler, so I wonder – think of it this way. Josh Hayes was thought as kind of that nickel guy. They moved him to safety already um, for this upcoming season. Russ East played safety last year. Sounds like he'll probably be a nickel in the NFL. It seems like guys that would typically play the nickel kind of fit at safety for this particular scheme, at least to how they're trying to deploy it. So I do wonder if Clemens at some point does transition to safety, but definitely a hot streak. And if you look at their last few battles, not really Clemens and Carr. I don't think they faced any Power 5 resistance um, for those two. But in general, you look at the last 12, 13 recruiting wins. I think eight or nine of them are against Power 5 programs where they're defeating them. And it's hard to think of one that they lost in that time period as well. So whatever is going on, they, they've kind of found something that works.
1: Well, now, I mean, they're, they're going head-to-head with USC for Gavin Forsha, who is the, the linebacker here. And I know things seem to have turned a little bit. So you can you can update us with the latest here as of, you know, we're recording this Wednesday night, just for purposes of, you know, time stamping this whenever mm-hmm. you are listening. Decision may have already been reached. We may know something publicly, but it sounded like Fortune at first was all in on K-State. Then USC Lincoln Riley came in pretty hot and heavy. They did get him to visit. Um Obviously, this would be a really nice win. Linebacker is another place where, like, absolutely can use some depth. They have really struggled to develop anybody at linebacker there, so it's had to be a bunch of these guys uh, that have that have rotated in or come in as transfers that you're going to rely on this year. But I, I, is this as a K State fan, do you start to get antsy about this and be like, man, the obvious is going to play out here. This kid's going to choose USC, or where do you stand on things right now?
2: I, I would. I'm not going to make an official pick because I just don't know. Um, I don't have a lot of enough overwhelming evidence or confidence to suggest what will happen either way. What I will say is it's not a slam dunk for USC, even though he did end up deciding to take that trip to sunny Southern California. Um, Though they're not as bold, the people that would typically know how this is going to work out that are close Enough to force. believe that he's still going to go to Kansas State. Um, they would probably have a little bit of reason to hope that's the case. So you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But they definitely have not backed off of that confidence. It's just no longer as bold, and it probably shouldn't be since he, you know, he. You well, he know, took the visit. <laughs> yeah, he still he went and visited. So, um, well, we'll find out soon. That's what I was all told. Not a specific date. Just we'll find out soon. He's going to notify both staffs before he goes with any kind of public announcement and then boom, it'll be out there. But to say that they're as boldly confident as they were is, yeah, it would be an over-exaggeration. But I do think that they have reason to believe that they're still in it and it's not a foregone conclusion that it's USC. So we'll see. But I, yeah, I think that the Trojans ended up mounting quite the, The defensive for Forsha,
1: which like what what? Why are we seeing Lincoln Riley? I mean, this is not the first time K State's run up against Lincoln Riley already at at USC. Like, and and I get the the basic reasons why you're seeing more national programs come into Kansas. Just recruiting is more national. You can find highlights easier of guys. Right, much easier world to go in and cherry pick. He's not from Kansas.
2: Gavin Forsha, he's from Tyler Junior College.
1: Well, right, right. I, I realize, but but the same caliber of play you right
2: know, what i will say I'm, I'm but oklahoma, but you're,
1: you know you think about the battle with oklahoma right for canick i mean kids like that isaiah simmons who went to clemson that brent venables came in and recruited like yeah. there's an obvious connection there with venables but oregon you know with with avery johnson and dylan edwards a little bit um notre dame joe Ot- like joe otting all of a sudden is blown up and got national from the state of kansas it just seems like there's a there's a lot more resistance now for it used to be you worry about, like, Iowa, Iowa State, and it feels like in the last couple of years now it's blowing up to, like, all of a sudden these kids at the last minute when you think you're in a pretty good position, they're just blowing up to the point where you have a lot of national resistance.
2: Yeah, and, and in a ways, USC is also just desperate to fill spots at this point of the year. Um, I don't know what their roster was looking like, if they just had a ton of open spots because of transfers. That's my guess because, you know, it was really weird when they took Tyrone Tallini as a scholarship transfer from Kansas State yeah. too. I mean, Tallini – Barely played in Manhattan.
3: Yeah, you're right. That was, that was, a and they just action. offered, uh, uh, they just offered Jord- uh, Jordan Allen, right? DY, Olathe South
1: defensive end.
2: Yeah, Jordan Allen 2023 defensive end from Olathe South.
1: Well, speaking of Avery Johnson, uh, one of the real stories this week is the fact that he made the Elite 11 finals, which K State is not. Landed a, an elite eleven final quarterback since Josh Freeman all the way back in two thousand and five, so it's a it's a big deal. I mean, Ron Prince. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, that was a huge deal when when he got Josh Freeman. This feels like it would be uh, maybe not quite on that same level because it was a dramatic flip from Nebraska. But you know, for Chris Kleiman, oh, it, it would be a monster monster win if they can get him. But now, I think. You know, speak for what the average fan feels here. And that's you see this, you're like, man, we're already a little bit worried about like Oregon. And, you know, are these schools going to come sniffing around? Will the decision of Arch Manning start this trickle down effect where Texas or whoever loses Arch Manning steals someone else's quarterback and then someone else is coming after Avery? There are enough variables to worry about already. I think your condition being a fan of this team that has not landed many high profile recruits to think, well, boy, maybe this will be exactly like Forsha, like you think you have him in the bag, and then all of a sudden now he gets a little extra shine at the Elite 11 event, and uh, somebody else is going to come call him.
2: It's possible. I'm not going to say no, so it probably is not really reassuring to anyone listening or or to you, John, or Cole, but it's possible. I Look, I, I really think the world of Avery Johnson, you both know that. I've raved about him for a couple of years now. I think he's the real deal. Um, I saw him play last year against Derby High School, and it was one of the best performances that I've seen from a high school quarterback um, ever, just in you know a singular game. and He was that good that night, and I think that was a game they still lost. But he almost single-handedly led, it, led Mays High School to a win over Derby. He's just that good of a quarterback. So there's definitely the potential that he's going to continue to showcase his skill set and his talent and maybe convince some other schools to budge and pull the trigger on an offer for him at the end of the day, because he is that good. Uh, the thing is that we just don't know which quarter, which schools are going to be in line for, you know, another quarterback, but you know, so there's a lot of variables of play, like you said, John, but at the end of the day, as I stand right now, we're recording we're to seven forty Wednesday night. I mean, it's still Kansas States to lose and by a considerable margin. I, I wouldn't say a lot has to happen. It can, you know, one offer can change of course of an entire recruitment. You never know, but, I mean, there is, you know, very little resistance, at least quality resistance that is effective right now against Kansas State for his services.
3: I think the the biggest news that came out, right, D.Y., is that we will expect a decision at some point before end of June for Avery Johnson. And then also, in all likelihood, Dylan Edwards, right, you know, made the announcement that probably announced before the Elite 11 camp or right around then.
2: Yeah. I, I would imagine that I, I would be pretty shocked at this point. If Avery's decision leaks past June, uh, Dylan Edwards, I'm not going to pretend to really have a good gauge there. Um, I feel differently about that recruitment, um, with each day. And I'm sure that's probably a microcosm and of his entire process at this point and the way he feels perhaps, because he just doesn't seem to exactly know where he wants to go with it yet either. Um, that one is just very unpredictable. Pretty seems pretty volatile. I mean, just I mean, he's been focusing on his recruitment for how long? Like he, he doesn't seem like he steps away from it very much, and he still, you know, came out with a top ten. You would think that it would be much more narrow than that. But he's going to take five official visits. Nebraska, I think, is coming up. So, you know, the Dylan Edwards one that that could go. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. But wait, I think, wait. wait.
1: Does he have a committable Nebraska offer?
2: You would think that they're bringing him on official visit that he probably is. That's probably, I mean, I don't think everybody um, probably feels that way, but you know, Dylan Edwards is a really good football player. Um, Any, any program would be happy to have him. And, and, but you know, there's, you know, just going to be dominoes, just like any other position, specifically a quarterback. But, uh, yeah, I think Nebraska would take him. I don't know that they're they're in a position not to. I think he's too good of a talent, and I don't think they're going to mess with Derby High School whole lot, whole much to and try to you know burn any bridges there. I think I yeah. think Nebraska could definitely be a player in his recruitment, but they just haven't registered a whole lot up to this point. So that's an interesting thing starting to happen with them.
1: Well, let me let me. Let me give you a John Kurtz crystal ball here, right? Like that's that's the thing. I know. I'm sorry. I think that's your competitor, DY. But uh, you yeah. you log the the crystal ball, right? Let me give it. Let me give my official crystal ball prediction here for Dylan Edwards. You ready?
2: This is it Jackson State?
1: Why you got to ruin the surprise, DY?
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good swerve. You know, I called the swerve for uh, for Antoine Davis, Dylan well, Edwards recruitment. That'd be a- it.
1: I'm combining both of those. It's going to be Jackson State, and it's going to be with a Glowball sponsorship. He will be the leader of Glowball's football division to sell glow-in-the-dark footballs to go play at Jackson State. That is my Mm -hmm. official Dylan Edwards crystal ball prediction.
2: The only problem is I don't think China really dabbles in football yet.
1: Well, they're going to now. That's why you get Dylan Edwards on board, D.Y. That's why you get him on board, and you start working that connection through Jackson State. Okay.
2: Yeah. The the big in-state recruitment to follow that I think will unwind and unfold before both of those, because it could be first, second week of June, is Joe Otting. That one is probably going to be the first, you know, big Sunflower State Tower prospect to come down first.
1: And I just, I don't know, I don't feel very optimistic about that one at all, just because of how he's blown up. Like, to me, that's nothing about
2: everyone close to him. Everyone close to him thinks he's all cats still. So we'll see. But really? yeah, okay. and, 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 and I, I really, and it's the right people saying it to where I believe it, okay. but, but the qualifier here is everything can turn. Cause he is going to visit Notre Dame on June 4th. Does it change on it? That kind of visit? We'll see.
1: Is it Notre Dame? That is the, the chief competition. Who was the other yeah. really huge offer he got the other day?
2: Well, I think Iowa because of their pedigree with offensive linemen, but if it was just Kansas state or Iowa here, Um, and Notre Dame never offered, then I think it'd be a slam dunk to the Wildcats. Notre Dame applies the most resistance, but I think Kansas State is in a position to win that battle. Um, Unless, you know, the Notre Dame really pulls out all the stops on that visit on June 4th, and obviously that definitely could unfold in that way. But Connor Riley really has recruited the heck out of him and done a fantastic job.
1: Hey, shout out to Connor Riley, man. Uh, the, Does he have an official sure. visit to K-State?
2: I would imagine after Notre Dame at some point, yeah.
1: I mean, fair to say this would be like uh, – now I just lost the name. Turner Corcoran. Turner Corcoran-esque, at least in terms of like PR win. I know Turner Corcoran hasn't turned out to be a, a star at Nebraska, but PR win, that kind of level.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I would put it in, in that breath. And um, – and the Turner Corcoran thing is, it's interesting because I think that he could still be a good football player. I think he's almost a product of what that coaching staff is unable to do. Uh, and Lincoln, but that Scott one, for us, for but, yeah. But this one is a little different to uh, the way that it's unfolded. I think Kansas State is a much bigger threat at the final stage than what they were for Corcoran at the final stage.
1: Okay. Uh, well, let's let's wrap this up with a little uh, Ring of Honor talk, okay? L. Roberson makes it into the Ring of Honor, and that seems to be the one that is drawing the most discussion, at least right now. And and let me just say, and D.Y., I know you, you pointed out, hey, he did not make a first or second team, all Big 12 team his entire college career. That is true, and that was astounding for me to find out. In 2002, it was Seneca, Wallace, and was that the BJ Simmons Seneca Wallace The two
2: thousand two was Seneca Wallace and who was the first team? Oh, oh
1: Kingsbury was Clark it was Kingsbury
2: was first, Kingsbury first team
1: Kingsbury and and Seneca Wallace. Then the next year it's Jason White. The questionable, White. Pick, and, was, the questionable
2: pick was BJ Simmons and BJ 2003. Simmons
1: can get the hell out of here. I for, oh. BJ Simmons being over L that. Drives me insane to this day. Now, L. Roberson missed time at the beginning of that season in case they'd also lost two games by the slimmest of margins to Texas and Oklahoma State that I would tell you if L. were healthy all year, they probably win, and that dramatically changes the tone of that season. But he, the offense scored 36 points per game in Big 12 play. They just abused the rest of the schedule after those two games and then crushed who people were saying was the greatest team of all time. In Oklahoma, the number one ranked team in the country and the Big 12 championship. And I don't know if you guys know this, but K-State only has two Big 12 championships since the guy that won the championship before that was named Pappy. OK, his name was Pappy. We were still making Pappies the last time K-State won a conference championship before the two that have been won in the modern era. One of those was because of El Roberson and the way that he played. So, like, I don't. to me, the context on that matters so much. And I don't really care what the All-Big 12 teams were. Like, if you watched El Roberson play, if you were old enough to be, like, conscious and, and really paying attention and, like, enjoying K-State football at that point, I, I just don't know how you could deny that El Roberson is, is not worthy of being in the Ring of Honor. Now, if the discussion wants to pivot toward, are, are there other guys that are more deserving? Should K-State have other guys up there? I've seen a lot of Kevin Lockett talk. Like, fine with that. I'm fine with that discussion, but I, I don't think it, it needs to be focused on, like, El Roberson is not deserving. I, to me, L. Roberson is very deserving.
2: Two things for me, and I know Cole probably wants to apply some perspective on it because he lived through it much more than I did. But I would say the perspective that I would apply is, like, I think it's unfair almost in that era where it wasn't, like, everyone – producing those kind of stats where it seems like some of those Texas tech quarterbacks are getting those nods just as a product of the offensive system that they ran in comparison to everyone else. It's almost just like a statistically driven thing where those things weren't as common. They were still, they were throwing the ball 50 times for Mike Leach back then, I think. Um, And that's why you see some of those numbers that are, that are pretty explosive. And, but in general, El Roberson is deserving because of what he meant in that particular era as well. I think, I think your uh, your placement in that era and your impact in that particular era still has to matter. I think that's why Barry Brown maybe not have maybe won't have the statistical argument as some to to uh, be recognized Need in Kansas State. There, uh, but he, he but he's going to belong up there just because of what he meant to Kansas State basketball in his particular yes, era. So I think those eras matter, and then uh, I guess you know. That, I guess that's just how I feel. But at the end of the day, I think the argument isn't that L. Roberson isn't deserving. It's that maybe there is others that are more deserving. And I think that, like you said, is an argument worth having. Chris Canty, I believe, is a two time NCAA All American that is still not up there.
1: He was a boss. Yeah. And we are, by the way, having, we're having some issues with Cole. So it's not, we're not trying to restrict Cole's L. Roberson opinion here. Uh, maybe that'll just have to be a tease for the, the next podcast. Okay. But, Listen, the rest of the the class, I should have led with this, by the way, if you are curious and you haven't seen this yet, Arthur Brown, Larry Brown, who played running back from 67 to 68, Darren Howard, tremendous defensive end, who had a great NFL career too, Colin Klein, Tyler Lockett, L. Roberson. That is your class in the ring of honor for uh, K-State football. And uh, I don't think there's been – there have been very few things, I'll put it this way, more awesome in K-State sports history than L. Roberson – getting in Jamal Lord's face at midfield in Lincoln and then handing Nebraska their worst home loss in almost 50 years, 38 to nine back in 2003. So uh, shout out to my guy, L. Roberson who also got frankly screwed at the end of his K-State career with everything that happened in the Fiesta Bowl and then being played in the game and having his scholarship yanked. So I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for El Roberson uh, in, in that this is happening and I'll, I'll be interested. I mean, I hope he comes back for it. It'll be very interesting. I don't know that you know. there've definitely been some hard feelings uh, between he and the program, with the way that things ended there. So, hopefully, L does come back. He did come back for the 10th anniversary thing in 2013 of that Big 12 championship squad. But congrats to everybody there. Um, maybe we can talk more throughout. Well, we'll have plenty of time this summer, I'm sure, when uh, things slow down to uh, discuss the merits of others who deserve to be up there. But as always, we appreciate uh, 360 Vodka Holiday Distillery for their work in supporting the podcast here. Appreciate DY and Cole for all the work that they do, and uh, obviously Tucker Franklin behind the scenes as well. It's going to wrap it up for us here on the Three mod podcast this week. Hit me up on Twitter at JL Kurtz if you got any uh, questions at The Young Rivals at Cole underscore. Man, back is there an underscore? I forget. I'm sorry, Cole, and Cole can't even tell me to correct it. Uh, all right, that's the Three mod podcast. See you later.